Amen. Good song, huh? Actually, that song is written by a woman named Laura Story, who, um, you know, you, re- you listen to the words of that song and you realize, you know, what was going on in her life when she wrote that. And uh, interestingly, uh, her husband, I believe he's presently in his, I want to say he's in his 30s, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And when she um, discovered that, that, the Lord had those words uh, penned from her. So you understand the context of when she's writing that. Um, one day he was just behaving unusual, and she went to a doctor, and the doctor couldn't find anything wrong. And um, a few months later, there was forgetfulness, and the doctor said, well, that's just kind of typical of a guy. That's nothing really uh, unusual. He's just forgetting to do things you ask him to do, but they still pursued and pursued and didn't think something was right, and they found this brain tumor. Um, it'd be nice to be able to say that he's 100% and he's recovered, uh, but he hasn't. Um, this is about three or four years ago, and so it's just an amazing song that uh, as they just continue each day to take each day, uh, one day at a time, as they work through their, um, their grief and just the adjustment of uh, what that has done. Uh, in their in their lives as a young family. Um, and so it's just profound because that song uh, kind of just makes us stop and think about pursuing God and seeing that the difficulties and the struggles and the trials and the storms and all the things of life, rather than it causing us to run away or turn away from God, actually uh, can be the very things that draws us to get closer to him and to pursue him. And like she said uh, in the song, um, you know, if it's a thousand sleepless nights, uh, that it, if that's what it's going to take for, for us to be moving the way God wants us to move, uh, in the direction he wants us to move in intimacy with him, then we have to kind of think, I'll take the thousand sleepless nights versus all the comfort and ease that we probably typically really would prefer to have. So, uh, yeah, good job. That's a... I, had, I was speaking at a church recently, and that song was saying, um, requested my wife to play it and another uh, sister to sing it. So it's a very special song. It's on my iPod. Um, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the wonderful truth of what Taylor just sang. And um, just thank you how uh, these, are, these trials of life are mercies in disguise. Pray that we'll have the, the spiritual wisdom and and heart to see it that way, and that we'll just welcome uh, the things that you bring into our lives, knowing that what your ultimate purposes are for them, and we just pray for grace and courage and strength as we press on. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, which there's some Connection and correlation with what was just saying with what our text is this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going back to the Beatitudes today, but we're going to discuss the subject briefly while we have some time together is this issue of how to climb the wall of worry. Uh, Wall Street uses this phrase, the climbing the wall of worry. And there's always issues that those in who are investing are concerned about, and frankly, it's not more than just concerned, they're worried about. And they're always worried about something. And if you start listening to these folks all the time, then you're going to become worried, even if you weren't. And so, we want to really see, what does Jesus say is the antidote to this issue that some of us may feel is a gene in our body? It's just there. 
this tendency to worry, to be anxious, and, and what do we do with it? Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? It's amazing how relevant uh, when this was written that we could just say that this would be just as well written today, huh? When Jesus was saying these things. And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is sown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's, it's reported that uh, in the United States alone, we're just talking about the U.S., not even the world, that 40 million people, 40 million people are afflicted with some form of anxiety. And that's just in that specific area of, of trouble for some dear souls in their minds is anxiety. And if you think about it, what is often the suggestion of what to do with this is to medicate an individual who's going through this. And on that front, $42 billion is spent every year just on anxiety disorders alone. $42 billion in the United States. If you were to ask people, you know, what are some of the concerns that you have today, they would probably say, without a doubt, it's worry and it's anxiety. People are anxious. It says that the average person, if you take the average person that's walking the streets, might be in your neighborhood, might be you this morning. It says that of the things that you're thinking about, 40% of the things that you're thinking about or you're worried about or you're anxious about are things that will never happen. 40%. So you think about what it is you might be thinking today. It may never happen. 30% are about things from the past that can't be changed. 12% are things about that deal with the issue of criticism uh, by other people that mostly may be untrue, but we're we're anxious and we're worried about it. 10% of our worry focuses in on health, which with the irony is it gets worse with stress and the more we worry. So you can start upping it. Then about only 8% is with the real problems that will be faced. 
Jesus just very simply and plainly in the text this morning tells us how to deal with this battle. And you know, it's interesting, in verse 25, he, he acknowledges the fact that there is worry, that there is going to be a tendency of his people to worry, and he mentions some of the things of what they are. If you were to take this word worry and just to say, well, what does it mean? I know exactly what it means in, in my life, and I could define it quite well, but what, what does the Greek say to this word, what it means to worry? And it's really interesting. It means to be divided. It carries the idea of to be pulled in many different directions. And so worry carries this thought that we're, we're taken hold of. Something has just captured our thought. And we are now uh, captivated by it. And we're not able to focus any longer on maybe what it is that God wants us to focus on. But we're now fixated on that issue, on that subject. Might be one of the things that I mentioned in the percents just a couple of minutes ago. And so when you think about it, what's happening to us is we're being pulled, literally, uh, figuratively, if you like, apart by worry. And our thoughts are running in one direction for one moment. We're, we're, we're wanting to trust God and we're wanting to believe him for what he's doing in our lives. And we're wanting to claim verses. And all of a sudden it rears its ugly head, this worry. And now it's pulling us in another direction. And it's kind of like a schizophrenic thing. We're just, you know, back and forth and we're, we're anxious. And Jesus acknowledges this concern that he knows is a, is a problem. Because everyone is affected, huh? Or if you like, infected with this. I mentioned and alluded to him just a minute ago. What are some of the key things? And, but they are no doubt what we, what we, Struggle with at times in this area is, is health. It's like Laura's story's her story. Um, when something like a loved one, it, it doesn't get much more difficult as far as in health. Maybe even more difficult to watch someone whom you love than even yourself. But when it's an issue of, of health. Possessions. He made reference to that. This concern about what am I going to wear? How am I going to be fed? And it's funny, when you listen to those who don't know Christ, and I'm not really judging them for this because, uh, or if you don't know Christ this morning, because you, you know no different. Um, it's the sad reality that you don't know about a, a father yet, uh, a heavenly father who promises to take care of you. So there's this anxiety and worry about what's going to happen in the future. And if you listen to some and you read the books that have been written, it basically implies that for your future, it's completely in your hands. You've got to take care of your future. That's the lie. You've got to do everything in your strength and in your power as though it only depended on you alone to make it in the future. You don't want to rely. You don't want to, you hear this, and it, it's subtle. You don't want to rely on God forbid, a God, you don't want to realize the subtle message and lie comes out that even on your family, you want to take care of it yourself. You want to take care of your future, your plans. You don't want anyone to help you one penny with your futures when, as we get older. Take care of it yourself. We're worried about our children. 
And uh, I, I think when I think of the gray hair on my, my head here, I think that I'd like to think probably 75% of my worries in that direction over the years has been with, with my kids. And maybe you can relate to that, or yours is thinning as well as grain in whatever the case. I remember when our daughter was a student down in San Diego State, her first trip where she drove back. Now, of course, I, as, a, as the parent, would have preferred that she would drive at, you know, 9 a.m., leave San Diego at 9 a.m. and get in at 6 o'clock or whatever at night. But, oh, no, it's leaving at 6 p.m., you know, or 7 p.m., I believe, and then arriving in at 2 in the morning. And it was interesting because Cindy, who was uh, the picture of what I believe the Lord would have wanted me to be, was there sleeping soundly in bed while she's on her way driving up I-5 and so forth. And I believe there was some tule fog around that night, too. So it just had all the elements of, for me, of worry, you know, just like a neon light. You know, I this is before the cell phone law. I was on the phone with her about every 30 minutes. Where are you now? You know, where are you now? And uh, it was I was standing out on the on the porch when she was arriving in at two in the morning. And even though I'd like to think that I was the concerned parent versus Cindy, who was sound asleep and even sawing some logs pretty deeply, if I remember right that day. Um, I think the Lord was probably more pleased with her picture of trust and rest. Well, I was the one pacing up back and forth, and I even go to the CHP website. I don't know if you know that they have one, <laughs> where I don't do this as much anymore. I think God's helping me in this area. But if someone over the years was late arriving home when they were supposed to come home, then I would go to the CHP traffic webpage, and I'd go onto the this area, Golden Gate, Bay Area, and I'd be looking for wherever there were any accidents, you know, on the road. And I remember one time the Lord just said, you know, I'm going to teach you how foolish all of this is. You're to the extent that you're taking it, because I looked on one and there was this accident on Crow Canyon Road involving a Honda, which was one of the cars one of our kids was driving at that time. And it was even the same color and they because they give a little narrative of what's going on. And so I remember just, you know, the heart was just, you know, like this. And then she comes in a few minutes later, safe and sound. Accidents. And again, if you have children Chances are they've probably been involved in one or two. I've lost track on with my four over the years, the total. It's a, a number that I'm not sure I can count. But any time, and just most recently, probably about two months ago, the phone rang at the house, and I chose to ignore the landline phone. Most of us don't even probably have those anymore, but then the cell phone rang. And even before I could say hello, I heard the screaming from my youngest, our 21-year-old, who had just been in a crash. I think this was number four. Uh, since she started driving. This time it wasn't her fault. But just the screaming, trapped in the car, couldn't get out, you know, thankfully not her fault. I would think that was, that was my first question. Uh, were you at fault? And then second, were you, are you okay? But um, <laughs> I might have the order reversed, maybe. Felt like a 911 call, though. So my son-in-law and I drove there and saw her there, fire department, ambulance and everything. Thankfully, she was okay, and the other party was at fault. But we worry. How do we, you know, how do we deal with this? Do we, how do we turn this issue over to the Lord? Some of us are worried about aging. I think I've told the story about the three sisters, the 96, the 94, and the 92-year-old who are all living together. 
And one, the 96-year-old was up in the bathroom drawing the bathwater, and she wondered for a moment, you know, was I getting out or was I getting in? And the 94-year-old said, I'll come and help you. And as she's climbing the stairs, she stops for a second and pauses and says, was I going up or coming down the stairs? <laughs> the 92-year-old, listening to all this at the kitchen table, knocks on wood and says, man, I know if I never get like this. And she says, I'll be right there as soon as I answer the door. You know? <laughs> We're worried about criticism. Um, it really... It really troubles us. Um, it's important for us to think, and, and God wants us to be concerned about what, what does he think about us? You know, it says in Scripture, we don't want to be man-pleasers. Uh, it's important to be a God-pleaser. But the truth is, unfortunately, some of us are really worried about when somebody has a different opinion of us than we want them to have. And so that can really keep us at it, up at night, which often is unfounded. And then lastly, and there's so many more, but I know some that I talk to are deeply worried about flying. And someone has said, it's flying isn't dangerous, it's crashing that is. I know one person who um, really has to medicate herself and like with tranquilizers anytime she gets on a flight. And um, the business is doing good, uh, I think, for her as far as on just the need to anytime she flies, whether it's an hour or four hours, just drug up because of this, this fear of flying. Worry is not only as we define it here through this, these examples and what, what the Lord mentions, but the interesting too is worry is a, is a um, very poor um, investment, isn't it? it? It's one of these things, if you just think about it, when we understand just what it means to invest our time or the money that God has, has given us, and it's ultimately his. It's, worry is really one of these investments that uh, is, a, is a no-brainer as far as being foolish. This is what the Lord says. He says, you know, in verses 27, one of the reasons why is it, it doesn't help. It, it simply doesn't help. He says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? As if maybe we'd even want to, you know, depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in. But it doesn't do any good. Other translations makes reference to it like this way. It will not add an inch or, or inches to your height. You're not going to be um, any taller if that was your desire today, if you worry. I remember reading some interesting commentary. I, I dismissed it. Um, it's been interesting, but I, there's no evidence to suggest it, but that when Jesus was speaking, that he was looking at someone who was particularly short, and he was making reference to this, that this might be the desire to add inches to this person's height. And I thought, well, that's creative, but I don't think we can prove that in any way. Foolish. Matter of fact, the interesting thing is, rather than adding to our height, what it actually does is it subtracts. That's the, the irony of it all. It Medical doctors would, would tell us that there's a lot of evidence that suggests that for the average human being, it, it actually starts taking away hours. You could even say uh, days or months or years off a person's lifespan, possibly, with excess worry. Not only that, but if you think of just about the quality of our lives. You know yourself that when you're just totally preoccupied with whatever it is that you're worried about, could be some of the things I mentioned or something else, that you're so distracted. I'm so distracted that we're just, whatever it is that God wants us to be doing, he makes it quite clear in this text what he wants us to be doing. 
what he wants our, our passions and our interests to be from Matthew 6.33. But we're, we're worn out. Someone has said, work will not make you uh, weary, but it's worry that will make us weary. Someone has said, and I love it, for peace of mind, I resign as GM of the universe. You know? Maybe it's time for us just to say, I quit. I quit trying to be the general manager, the CEO of the universe. That universe possibly being my own or other people's. It's not worth it. Pay isn't good enough for the task. And I resign. It just doesn't help. Something else is it reveals a lack of trust, doesn't it? And the truth is it compromises our testimony for those of us here today who name the name of Jesus. Because people watching around us say, well, they basically are like the pagans. They run after all these things. Their energies are on, you know, how am I going to live? What's going to be the future? How am I going to be provided for? As though there's no God that we say that we know. And so there's this contradiction with our, with our lives when we're worrying. We appear to be no different when we claim that knowing Jesus and being saved from our sins is awesome. Thank God for his blood that was shed. But as far as the day-to-day affairs, I still really have to manage those myself. Because I can't really, what we're saying is, can't really trust him. And yet the funny thing is, is we can trust him with our souls. We can trust him that we're going to heaven, that we're going to a place that we have no one here today has gone to and can come back and tell us this morning all about it as far as your experience. And a large number of us believe this place, heaven, exists. And we're going, and we're going to be with the Savior. And as First John says, we're going to see him face to face. And we love him without having seen him. But the funny thing is, we on the things that are on this earth and the things that are just ahead of us in our lives, the future, meaning maybe tomorrow, tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or ten years, we have a bit more of a problem with that. Shouldn't we live differently? as we soak ourselves in the word of God and realize the kind of God that we have. Others will look at it and say, it seems you seem rather, you seem rather um, foolish. You seem rather at peace. Don't you, don't you worry or under, don't you understand the circumstances? What's going on here? By our calmness, by our sense of peace, we can say, yeah, I do, but I'm trusting. I remember when I was going through that, uh, Crazy year 2010 with both my parents in 10 months passing away and all the visits to the hospitals and all the visits to the care home and all the decisions that were being made and still working. God, in my situation, I'm not judging anyone else differently. I only took one day off in that year for sick leave to care for them. And yet all my time when I was off and in between shifts of working midnight shifts, I was able to be there. And people were saying, you act like there's nothing different about you that's going on. Others were saying, I'd be absolutely a basket case of worry. And I said, you know, that's the Lord in my life. That's what God is doing. What you're seeing isn't denial. I'm not in shock. You know, I'm not in somehow uh, disbelief. I'm very aware of what's going on. But there's a God that is carrying me each step of the way. And this is the awesome thing about our God. And he he says, he constantly is inviting. Most people, when they start telling us their problems... And if it keeps going on and on, we just kind of say, okay, thanks, I'll pray for you. You know, we kind of walk away. 
It's like we'd be absolutely burdened if somebody kept going on and on and on about their concerns and their worries. We can't handle it. Yet God is saying, and he's inviting us to cast all of these things on him. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, 7, because he cares for us. It's, it's amazing that we have a God this morning that's saying, bring it on. You know, tell me it all. There's things I know that you can't, you don't want to feel the freedom to share with anyone else, but tell me, tell me, whatever that is. And also then the issue here is not only is it, is it and I'll be polite when I say it, it doesn't help and it, it's stupid when we worry. It reveals a lack of trust and confidence in our God, but also it's sinful. You know, we like to think, well, you know, a good parent, one of the qualifications of a good parent is you worry. Um, you, if you're a conscientious person, then it follows, and there, you could find uh, secular writers that will tell you that a, there's a lot of good things to worry about, and, and they actually think it's a great quality and character trait. But yet Scripture strongly suggests the opposite of that, that it's actually sinful because when we do this, think about this now, what, what we're really doing, and I know we're not necessarily thinking this, all of this just, you know, is coming off at the top of our head, but what we're implying when we're consumed in worry is we're saying, you know what, I, I don't know if there's a God that loves me. I don't know if I have a God that really cares for me, and that's, that's wrong. It denies his love. Denies his power. What we're saying really is, you know, that whatever this issue is, you know what, God, you're not big enough for it. You're not going to be able to sustain me and my loved ones through it. And so I'll just worry. And, I'll, and what happens when we worry is, is we're, just, we're just scheming, we're thinking, we're, we're just tossing it over like a tossed salad, aren't we? We just, we're just mixing it up and we're, well, I'll do this and then I'll, maybe I should do that. And it's like, where's God in it? He's out of the picture. And very closely related to this issue of love and power is the fact that we would also question his wisdom. This is the thing about Laura Story's song is um, most folks would say, well, you know, why? We've only been married, I believe, one or two years into our marriage, and my husband has a brain tumor? Really? If anything, someone would say, write a song about your, your sadness, Write a song about your bitterness. Write a song about, you know, whatever it is that you want to lament about in that situation. And yet, no, she turns it and sees how God can be working through these very difficult struggles in our lives. It's profound. It's from the Holy Spirit that she was able to write that. But when we, when we talk about wisdom, we're saying you don't really know, God, what you're doing. And that's the problem with worry. That's why it's a sin. Well, how do we overcome how do we overcome and win this? We've got to just go back, don't we, to the simple scriptures that talk about it. Verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds. Maybe in our situation, what we need to do this coming week is we need to go outside and we just need to sit down and we need to look at the birds. Go along the Iron Horse Trail. Listen to them. Listen to them sing. Listen to what they're, they're doing there. Watch them. Somebody has said uh, that they've never seen a, a bird with feathers that have gone gray. You know, you just don't see it. You never see a bird with worry lines on their foreheads, you know, or on their little beaks or their little face. You don't see it. They're amazingly, as these 
these creatures with all the variety and the, of birds that are out there, they're, they're just getting their provision each day. And God is taking care. Sometimes at my expense, when I seed our, my, the lawn and I want to grow new grass and all of a sudden I see about 50 there the next day, you know, and then I'm out there like with the scarecrow trying to get them all to move away. I hope I'm not interfering with God's plans in their lives. <laughs> Somebody else's lawn seed, you know, is sometimes how I feel in that situation. But you look at the birds, and isn't it just amazing how you just kind of slow down? It's not profound. It's not like you need to go and get this out of some chemistry book or some book on calculus. You just simply look at the birds. And then he says in verses 28 and 30, well, and also remember the, the flowers, the lilies. And he makes reference to the grass. He talks about how they don't labor or spin. They're, they're not in this frenzy of activity, of thinking, you know, how are we going to grow? You know, how are we going to provide? It, it's happening by the hand of God. And then verses 26, and, and really what he's saying with the birds of the air, and he mentions it in verse 30, he talks about, look how God clothes the grass of the field. In verse 32, he makes reference again. The pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's saying, trust, trust Him. Trust your Father. Someone has said, every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. And that's the reality. 24-7, He's up. And we can turn Him over. It's folly and it's foolishness. For us just to say, I'm holding on to what all these real, and I don't minimize what these real issues and concerns are. But he says, turn them over. And, you know, he invites us to do this because of the issue of, of the fact that we matter to him. We are worth something to him. I was listening to, a, I confess, a financial show last week. And they were talking as I was driving in, what are you worth? You know, what's your net worth? And this whole thing was, is get a piece of paper and write down what you're worth on paper as far as your, the value of how much money you have and all your assets and, you know, your accounts and your house. And, and I was driving in and I was thinking, well, based on this guy, the way he's talking, I'm not worth a whole lot, you know, <laughs> from a net worth standpoint. Um, I'm not even going to rank in there. You know, he's talking about maybe you're worth millions. And, you know, he was going into these crazy figures of numbers. I'm not sure I could draw that many zeros, you know, on my, if I were asked. What's your portfolio look like? And it's amazing, as I was driving in, I was starting to get worried. And I thought it's time to change the channel, you know, and go to, back to Caleb. 87.7 on the FM dial and listen to, to good Christian music because I was starting to just actually start slipping into thinking that the value that I could even slip into think that I'm worth is, you know, my house, my car, where I've traveled. That's what sort of epitomizes who I am and, and whatever titles people have. So many people just love to be able, after their name, to have, tell you they have this long list of, of credentials. And to, to us common folk, we probably look like, what are we? You know, who are we? 
And yet, to the Lord Jesus, we are worth something huge. He was willing to give his very life for us. Just think about it. He was willing to die on a cross for you. Now, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for those who are outside this room. But if you just personalize it to its very, very core, just to you, he was willing to die for. And that tells me that while I'm not worthy, I also know that even in the eyes of this world, which might see us as worthless, pathetic people, in God's eyes, that couldn't be farther from the truth. So remember to, to trust God and know that he's a God who cares for us and loves us. Stories told of this poor man who's walking in the forest and he's having a conversation with God. And he asks, Lord, what is a million years to you? God replies, my son, a million years is like a second to me. The man then asks, Lord, what is a million dollars to you? God replies, my son, a million dollars is less than a penny to me. So with that, the man kind of mustered up some courage and asked, so what do you think, Lord? Could I have a million dollars? To which God replied, sure, in a second. <laughs> We're putting all this emphasis on this time now of what we want God to be doing now and how we're valuing, how we're working and what we're worrying about for the for this present. And God is saying, you've got it. You've got it all wrong. What he says we we need to do is rather than being concerned about food. You know, that's if you think about it, how much of our time we're thinking about when are we going to eat again? You know, and what are we going to eat and where are we going to eat? I remember my father used to. After breakfast, be already plotting lunch, and then at lunch, plotting dinner. You know, just this occupation with food. But the Lord is saying in this passage to us, he's saying, you know, don't be concerned about all of these things, you know, the, the, about clothes. And, you know, the, the whole retail business basically says that the last month of December is like where it counts for 30 or 40 percent, 50 percent of their profits. And so basically we just came out of this whole rat race that said just spend, spend, spend and be all concerned about clothing and, and, and then, of course, entertainment and, and food and all of this stuff to an excess. And what the Lord says is rather than getting so preoccupied about all these things and then as a natural result worrying about it, he says, and this is the key thing as we wrap up, he says, I want you to remember this is what I want you to seek. This is what I want you to run after. And it's me and my kingdom. It's the interests of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. He says, in effect, don't be anxious about all these lower things that we get anxious about. All these other things in life that we put such emphasis on. He says, don't lower yourself to be so concerned about that stuff because I'm going to take care of that stuff. He says, be concerned and be consumed. Turn your energy on me. And then he says, the awesome thing is, is here's this great deal. And he promises to deliver and he never has failed in his promises is that if we do this, then he says, I promise to meet the necessities that you have in your life. There's there's absolutely no backdoor, small print, you know, read the fine print here that there's actually some trick to what he says there. Not at all. He's telling the truth. That if you seek me first and you put my interests 
above all these other interests that those who don't know Christ are thinking about by and large in a general sense. He goes, I promise to, to care for you and provide for you. Interestingly, when we seek all of those other things, the stuff that we, we worry about, it, clothing and food and how we're going to live in the future and you know, are we going to end up on the street you know, with costs for care homes and are we gonna, who, will our kids take us and you know, where are we going to live and how are we going to make it? When we get all this ish, these concerns and we get all anxious and worried about that, he says, when you're seeking that stuff, that's exactly, and if you're thinking like that, then you are going to be anxious. But when you're minding his business, he says, I'll mind yours. And that's the awesome thing, when we're minding his business. Someone has said, you tell me how to, you spend your time and your money, and I'll tell you what you're seeking. And if we really, just on a, in a week or a month's course, have charted basically what we think about, how we're spending our, our, our money that God's given us, how we're spending our time, that is a pretty good profile or bio of who we are and really what it is that is occupying us and driving us as men and women today. We can talk whatever we want. We can say whatever we want. But the proof would be in the pudding of what is coming out of our wallet where it's going, and to my daughter, it seems like a lot of it's going to her, but um, that's just another subject for another day. <laughs> See, the Lord and Paul brings this up to us over and over again, and we need to hear it over and over again because we, we either choose to forget this or we don't want to hear this, but he's left us on earth to be his representatives. He's left us on earth to be his ambassadors. He's left us, it tells us in these very passages in Matthew, to be salt and to be light. And he wants us to be this reflection of his grace in the lives of the other people. He wants to see us shine in a way that when others look at us while we're still down on this earth, they say, well, what makes you tick and what makes you different than anyone else I know? And rather than that be an opportunity to say, well, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. It's actually an opportunity to reflect it and to turn it back on to Jesus and say it's, it's the Lord. This is, this is what he wants. And so we're missing the mark is what he's saying when we get so preoccupied and worried about these things. And then lastly, in verse 34, the, another key ingredient here is he says, remember to live in the present. Live in the present. Charlie Brown said, and he was, I think, pretty wise in this. He says, I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. And so, if you really want to think about it this way, is we just take one day at a time. Stories told of a man who was raising chickens, and among them was this, um, and maybe you live out in a farm, you relate to this, but there was this rooster who was occasionally crowing, and neighbors complained about it. I get calls like that at work, actually, still, about some roosters that are making too much noise at four in the morning or five or whatever it is. But one day, this disgruntled neighbor went over to the farmer and complained, that miserable bird of yours keeps me up all night. And the, the guy said, well, I don't understand. He hardly ever crows. But if he does, it's, it's usually not more than two or three times. And the man who was so upset said, that isn't my problem. 
It's not how often he crows that irritates me. What keeps me awake is not knowing when he might crow again. (laughs) Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. David, I love this, Psalm 37, 25. Uh, He says, I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Isn't that the truth? You're not going to have to see one of God's children standing out on a, on a corner saying, need food. It, it's not going to be in the cards. It's not necessary. It's a contradiction of what God promises. We belong to our Heavenly Father, huh? He promises to take care of our body. He certainly promises to take care of our soul as well. And he's just asked us repeatedly. Uh, it's almost like he's, he's graciously pleading with us, uh, trying to persuade us to remember to trust him and not to be anxious. This is God's, Matthew 6.33, this is God's social security program for us. Um, if you're getting social security now, Awesome. I keep hearing it may not be there in another 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know. But I do know this, that our God is going to be there. He's going to be there for us. And he's going to help us each day, each hour, each minute that we need him by his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to bless you and thank you for your love for us today. We want to thank you especially for your patience with us as your, as your children. We want to ask for your forgiveness where we sometimes run around as though we don't have a Savior. We don't have a a God who is promising to take care of us as you have promised. Um, And Lord, forgive us for where we we doubt you. Um, We think you don't have the power to, to help us in whatever situation has us concerned. I pray, Father, that we will be people who will run to you. Uh, with our concerns and the things that we are anxious about. You invite us to be anxious for nothing but by everything with prayer and supplication to make our requests known to you. And I pray we'll be those kind of people that are growing in trust. And even though there may be storms all around and flames and, and floods and calamities of all different sorts, emotional, mental, or physical in our lives, we pray that we will just be Trophies of your grace who are saying God's in control and he is knows what he's doing and he's taking care of me. We just pray your blessing on the rest of this day. and We thank you for our time together in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.